This show is sponsored by Sevi, answering all your commercial real estate needs. Sevi is the first commercial real estate company committed to the four C's, commercial real estate, community, content, and culture. Go visit Sevi at Sevi, S-E-V-I, properties.com. Again, Sevi, properties.com. One. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla, and today I have a very special guest for you. We have Talia Fox. Talia is the CEO of Kusai Global. They're a leadership strategist, and she's also a Harvard fellow and author of the book, The Power of Conscious Connection. Welcome to the show, Talia. Thanks, Odo. It's so great to be here. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. I'm glad you, uh, we can make it today and have you on as the guest here. Before I go into your personal journey, I'd like the audience to get to know also the business. So in case they haven't heard of Kusai, what do you folks do? What are you? So Odo, I'm on a mission with this company that I built to change the world, change humanity one skill at a time. So Kusai is an acronym that stands for knowledge, understanding, strategy, and implementation. I'm all about systems and processes. And so we help people and organizations know what's going on, understand what's happening in the world, create a strategy and implement it. And it is all for, I have an ulterior motive in this whole process of business. We really help big companies do a lot of strategic things, but I want people to be happy. <laughs> I want people to go to work and they're smiling. I have this very um, big vision of us being able to both work achieve great things and also be there for our families and just feel like we're living the dream. And so I do believe that skills and systems and processes can really help us or give us a fighting chance to do that. That's interesting. I love that, Talia. You know, I, I, I just pictured people walking into the office with a big smile on their face. And I don't know, nowadays, you don't see that very often. I mean, besides them going into the office, number one, a lot of not everyone, but everyone's remote or hybrid or some type of thing. But if, if someone is, let's say, clocking the W-2 per se, how can they find joy, I guess, and fulfillment in that? Yeah, so we do have a loneliness epidemic. I think we have a lot of conflict and tension epidemic happening in our world where people are going into work. We spend the majority of our lives at work with these people that that mm -hmm. some of us like them and some of us don't very much. And so the idea of finding joy is being able to um, master, and, and I know we're going to get into my book, The Power of Conscious Connection, but to be able to master four skills, the capacity to listen to each other in a way that connects us, the, the capacity to observe each other and observe what's happening in the world, this ability every single day when you wake up asking yourself this really important question, which is what do I value? What's important to me? So that's, that's the V. And then lastly, engaging with people in an authentic way. So if we can master these skills, which just happened ironically, Odo, to make up the acronym LOVE, um, but these are strategies and skills that we work on every day. Not only does it contribute to us getting promotions, being more effective at work, but it also contributes to us being more happy and more joyful in whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. I love this, Talia. And, you know, a lot of this, I, I would assume, comes from leadership from above and you know, when you're working in an environment, and every environment is different, of course, uh, many times leadership might not have the training training or that framework. Um, how can they go about and, I guess, 
in retaining this knowledge? Fabulous. So I know I started with the big vision because I'm a visionary. You know, at this point in my career as a CEO, I'm thinking about the mission and the vision. But if we bring it down to the to the ground skills of strategy and what we're doing in organizations, um, Kusai does a couple of things. One, we create an entire leadership and people training plan. So we do training and development, but ours isn't normal training and development. It's like a Peloton ride. We create these experiences for people that really engage the mind, touch the heart and inspire action. The second thing that we do is we, if you will, take care of the health of companies and their culture. And so we do things like really cool communication plans and branding plans. Um, we do strategic plans around culture. We do a, a variety of different things that give you almost a nice box of here is what you do to transform and build culture. And then we help you implement it. And so like on the ground, it's training and development and some real consulting. We call it a culture shot. So we're like the doctors. We come in and it's like we do a little, little assessment. How are things going? We give you a shot to get get you get you rolling. <laughs> and, and like, and here's the deal. What you just asked is really important. We have found that you can't just do people, work on people, and you can't work on organizations. You have to work on both. People have to work on their attitudes and behaviors, but organizations have to give you the right soil so they can so those good people can thrive and really do good work. So it's hard for good people to thrive in yucky, toxic soil. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to how you even got to this. But but before that, are you originally from the DMV area here? I'm not. I actually, I was born in New York, uh, but I grew up in Las Vegas. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So my, my father is a, was a Calypso reggae artist. He opened up the Mirage Hotel and Casino when it first opened with Steve Wynn. And so we moved to Vegas. Um, it was really cool for us because we had moved into a house at the pool and it was like this whole other world uh, coming from New York. And so I'm, I am sort of, I think, grew up in Las Vegas, but born in New York. How, how old were you when you moved to Vegas? I was about eight or nine. So I okay. spent, until I went to college, I spent, you know, the majority of my my youth in Vegas. If I can take you back to your childhood and youth, like, you know, growing up in Vegas, what were you into? What did you like? So it's like an interesting question. When people think of Vegas, I think that they just, of course, you see lights and you see casinos. Uh, I thought Vegas was a very conservative place where children aren't allowed to go anywhere near the casino. So it was a very, it was a lot slower and and peaceful, I think, than maybe if you say you grew up in Vegas that people, people get. Um, I've always been a dreamer and a fantasizer. I was really into the Dirty Dancing movie. So you would see me walking around like with, with poodle skirts on. I was a big reader, but anything that was fantasy, like I, I wanted to just read about different things. Um, I will shamefully say, I don't know if this is shamelessly or shamefully what the word is. I think at some point I was in New Kids on a Block, then it shifted to New Edition. You know, I was really into music uh, through my father. Um, and yeah, so I was. It was music and creativity was always my thing when I was when I was growing up. So kind of, uh, yeah. dancing or singing or just yeah. So it's funny you ask that. I was a singer. Okay. Um, I performed in a lot of different places. I think my biggest group is I performed um, for Pepperdine University in front of a really big group. Um, I thought that I was going to be in a group. I, I actually dreamed of being in that group 702, uh, which I, I'm friends with, with those that are in the group. One of the members actually recently pa passed away, which is so sad. But um, 
Yeah, I, I thought that I was going to be a singer and an actress was was where I thought my life was going. So what changed? I mean, I'm sure you had this thought, what, all through high school? And then I guess what happened after high school graduation? So I think I had that thing that happens to a lot of us when we get to a certain level in life. I I turned down an opportunity to go to music school. And it actually happens to be the same music school that Neo went to. Oh. And yeah, and the 702 group. So a couple of famous people that went to that school. And I thought that maybe I was going to lose a bunch of weight and become a cheerleader. I was kind of in that whole watching too much TV. I wanted to sort of wear the varsity jacket and be the cheerleader type not the musician type. That was my, my thought. And then I realized I was smart. So I started doing really well in school and that shifted to these conversations and seeds people were planting in your head that you need to start thinking about doing something quote unquote serious. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I ended up going to college and it was in college that I, um, I continued to think about acting and singing, but I, I was on this road of being a doctor at first. And then it was a lawyer um, but I ended up doing a really beautiful, passionate thing, which was going to school to be a, a therapist, which um, really fueled me in many ways. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, now you go up on stage, too. I mean, you might not sing or dance, but it, it's different. I do sing and dance on stage. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. This is the thing. I'm so glad you're asking these questions, Odo. I feel like the power of everything is in the questions you ask, because I don't think I've had this level of conversation with, I've been on hundreds of podcasts at this point, but um, I really feel like I found that place in the world where I, the, the work that I do, I get to go on stage, I get to help people and be of service. And when I'm on stage, I do a little comedy, I do acting. Um, I don't really sing because I feel like I can't sing like I used to. I should take it back up. But I'll do like a, uh, I have this thing when I'm speaking. I will integrate song lyrics across different generations. And so I'll have audiences. Sometimes there are thousands of people. And I tell them that wait for your generation to come up. So I do everything from integrate. I'll just be talking just like I am now. And I'll integrate rap lyrics. I'll integrate, you know, um, something from Prince, whatever that is. And then people in the audience will start to just clap randomly because they, I hit their generation. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I, I know this is totally off topic, Tali, but can you give us an example of rap lyrics? I want to see if maybe I get it. Or I, <laughs> if that's okay. So, the, the key to this is pretty serious. So I might oh, say, okay. I might just say something like, um, uh, so there's an idea that when you're leading, you started from the bottom and now you're here. You know, you have to, so uh, we'll just start talking, but they have to, you have to really be listening to get sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, or I might say in the middle, the idea of leading and starting a business is that you have to get into the flow. And so I might say, rolling with the homies. And so people will be like, oh, that's cool. You know, so it's one of those pieces okay. that, yeah. that happen. So I just integrate it throughout. And I might do 10 or 11 of them. But by the end, I've covered everything from Frank Sinatra to Jay-Z. Um, you, we had a conversation before this, which I thought about this, where you said there's levels to this. So I was thinking about Meek Mills, for those, somebody may not know that, but he's, he's a pretty, he uses a lot of curse words. So I don't recommend anybody look him up and listen to him. But the thing is, I'm covering all the generations. All yeah. the people. I, I love this, how, you know, at a young age, you have this, and now you're, like you said, you're integrating it with what you do. Yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. And I'm, I'm all, I'm all about the fun. <laughs> 
do you see that where, where your work takes you that, you know, when you're working with people and clients that there's some type, something in the past, maybe it was childhood that they got exposed to or they did. And now they're living it now as an adult, some version of it, even though different. Sadly, I think it's the opposite. I feel like we are in a world where we feel like it's A or B. And I think people find themselves at a crossroad, at a crossroad and they think that they are choosing A or B. There's a book that I love by my book, The Power of Conscious Connection, but pair it with the book Decisive. Um, and so the book Decisive is saying anytime you have a major decision to make to expand your options. And so we tend to just always think our decisions are split into two. But what are the possibilities? What would it be like to have everything that you want and to just allow your brain to explore those opportunities? So what happens to people now that I see is they literally have completely given up on those childhood dreams. They feel disappointed. They feel like they may not look the way they used to look. They feel like maybe they can't sing anymore, whatever that is. And they just kind of say, I'm just going to line up and deal with the life that I have before me, not realizing that there are little pockets of opportunity to find bliss as you live your life. You know, I, I love this. And, and I agree with you 100 percent, Talia. It, it just reminds me just because, you know, when we were young and you were children, we all have that creativity in us. And I feel as we go through life in adulthood, it get lost in many of us, unfortunately. And the interesting part, as far as for me personally, I, I'm, what I do is commercial real estate day to day, but I started this show, the DMV business show, just to highlight all local business people and community leaders in the area. And just a spark of creativity happened for me. And I started the show around COVID time. So now we're in the third season, almost 150 episodes, and I love it. And I should have started earlier, but it, it almost gave me a re-energizing with my commercial real estate business that I didn't expect. And it's just that creativity just starts flowing. And what's fabulous about it, I was like sitting here thinking to myself, do we need to buy a building? So you get, you get potential clients, you get friends, you get to talk to people, you get to use your creativity and, and doing something that feels um, exciting. God, what a wonderful path. And you, and you can still do all of the other things that you've been doing, right? To, yes. Uh, to rack in the cash. <laughs> I, I agree because people tend to be put themselves in a box. I am A or I am B or I am C. But why can't you be A and B and C? You can like many things. You can love many things. It's so true. You know, there's also this thing. When I first started doing corporate training, I was really fake, Odo. Like I, I would put my hair in a bun and have, you know, these pearl earrings on and I still wear a bun and pearl earrings and things, but I was very, you know, looking at my slides and making sure everything was in order. And I realized that the reason I was hating it is because I was so rehearsed and it was so measured. It wasn't really me. And so I said to myself, well, what do you want here? I was like, I want to just get on and I want to talk and I want to be free to be me, to share the things that I want to share. Ironically, when I shifted to this new way of interacting with people, um, it just skyrocketed into things that I just could never have imagined. And so I gave myself permission, not, we're not just choosing different paths, but there might be a version of ourselves that we can reinvent even within the work that, that we're doing now, I think is really critical. That shift that you had, Talia, why do you think, where did it originate from? 
I think I was just feeling miserable and I was on a, a journey to figure out what was going on and what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, with a background in psychology and also I, I read a lot and learn a lot. I, I have committed my life to self-reflection and really understanding ways to, to shift to greater joy and happiness, right? So I try to walk the walk. Um, and the shift was, okay, Talia, you're not feeling happy. <laughs> what is it that, can you identify the very specific things that are causing that? And then what can you experiment with to see if it changes or if it improves your relationship or your connection to the work that you do and how you do it? And so I, I commit myself to on a rhythmic uh, assessment and reflection of how I feel and how connected I am with other people in the world. You know, I, I think, Tyler, this is the first show that I've done that I, I've shared so much personal information just because it just what we're talking about speaks to me so much. It, it also I was somewhat similar that my I was with my former company for almost 13 years and. I was probably the only one in the office, but, you know, suit and tie and you have this persona, like you said, you know, you were with your earrings on stage and this and that suit and tie. And even though I look, I was probably the only one, but as a minority coming into a commercial real estate world where I don't look the part because the majority of my counterparts, our colleagues are not, do not look like me, are not my age, are much older and everything. I was like, okay, I have to present myself in a certain way, this persona and for me, it wasn't probably COVID. I mean, COVID just changed a lot for many people um, in that I just started just business casual, took away the tie, the the, the suit, and just going in, into meetings. I was still being myself even when I was wearing the suit and tie. But now it was a different version of me, more of a relaxed sort of laid back. And we're just getting to know each other and we're touring different commercial spaces. And, and yeah, I, I agree with you. <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting because I work with a lot of people and, and this dynamic is something I think we experience at some point where you sort of find yourself. There is one thing to think about for, for the listeners that are like, yeah, I'm about to get laid back and be more relaxed and more authentic is you, we also have to make sure that we know the distinction between authenticity and poor business or poor relationship choices. And this isn't your situation. And I feel like, you know, I think I am naturally um, respectful and I naturally sort of carry myself in a way it feels authentic to me. But I know some people, they they push the, the envelope a little bit too far where, you know, you're not being authentic, but you're actually being a little bit curt or a little bit rude, or you're speaking in a way that's not clear or doesn't compel your audience to listen to you. So it's finding the balance between being yourself and being relaxed and being, you know, really connected. And then also building the skills that allow you to be this polished value add professional. Um, And in the book, The Power of Conscious Connection, that's what that strategy is about for you to have that consistency of pairing the authenticity with the skill to be a great leader and a great contributor. I love that. You know, coming out of college, I know you said you were doing psychology, correct? You yeah. weren't thinking one day you'll be doing what you're doing today. So how did all this come about? Yeah, so I wanted to go to an Ivy League law school and um, I was waitlisted at a couple and then I didn't get into one that I really wanted. Um, and I ended up 
sort of having what's what are my next options and I know that I was really into I was kind of getting into positive psychology and I was thinking about I did I did another reflection moment where I was like what are the things that really make me feel good and I was like I like to talk to people and I like to help people um so I signed up for a program at Howard I applied for a program at Howard in counseling psychology and so I dedicated um the beginning of my career to helping children and to, I did something called hip hop therapy, another combination um, where I worked with a professor on how to measure hope in underserved communities. And so I actually had an opportunity to look at hip hop lyrics and to understand why music has had such a big impact on the psychology and the hope of people that are really struggling. You can imagine how fun that sounds for me, right? It was, yeah. it was amazing. Um, and then I became the director of this organization. And at, when I was the director of this organization, I started getting really clear on how leadership decisions actually impact lives. And I was upset and dismayed at the flippantness of leaders, the decisions that they were making, because I felt so connected to the children. So I started doing these keynote speaking events for leaders in the nonprofit industry around the DC area. Um, and I, I was dealing with some pretty serious stuff. I was dealing with children that were um, that were at the at the time they were impacted by HIV and AIDS. Some of them were even I had to join some children in hospice. It was awful. It was very difficult for me emotionally. Um, they were living in very hard times. Um, but at any rate, so I started doing it. I had that passion to help them and, and my anger around we've got to do something here. The keynote speaking events and that just basically of course very quickly replaced the income of being a therapist in this nonprofit organization and so from there I, I did the the money led me and I'm just being totally I, I don't mind being transparent and real about this um I saw an opportunity in the corporate world but when I got to the corporate world I found another purpose and another meaning I wasn't necessarily completely in the nonprofit world, but I said most of our population is in this corporate world. So if you want to make an impact on the world, make an impact in their jobs. And so in my in the trainings that we design at Kusai, there's a little bit of therapy in there. <laughs> there's a lot of skill. Um, but there is this underlying motive that I'm very transparent about of getting people to see how important they are and how much their work and how much their decisions are impacting lives. That's amazing. Yeah. Would you say, is that what you're most proud of thus far in your business career? So I think my business career, we have done a lot of work on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, during the time of the George Floyd, uh, the, the George Floyd murder and all of the things that were happening in our world around social justice. Um, we really did a mass effort to large, big government organizations, big corporations, where we trained literally the entire organization in a signature course that's still extremely um, successful today called Conscious Equity. And Conscious Equity is teaching skills like emotional intelligence, systems thinking, and cultural competence. And it really kind of, these themes are in my book because the idea is being aware of what's going on in the world and connected to your power to change it. And so um, in this training, I shifted from this idea of any blame, no you know, political soapbox. It was just, who are we as people? How can we connect and be together? Um, and, and how can we really show up in different ways 
so that we can all thrive. And so I love the message of that in our career, but I also love that so many organizations bought into it and many organizations made it a mandatory experience. It's a two and a half hour, I call it like a Peloton ride. It's really fun and engaging and uplifting um, virtually. And we had organizations, multiple corporate organizations that made it mandatory for every single employee and every single leader to take the course. So that's probably one of our biggest, I, I, I love this accomplishment in our in our firm. Wow. Are you the one teaching the course or is it through video or how, how does it work? So uh, our clients have two things. Uh, I have become a little spread too thin. So of course we've grown. I'm not able to teach the courses. Every once in a while for the C-suite, I will go in and, and teach that course. Mm -hmm. um, so if they want the version, the Peloton version with me, we do do a, a video. It's almost like Mr. Rogers and D&I though. I'm in front of a fireplace. I'm like your friend and we're really just chatting it up. But the clients love it. But it's a man. It's a mandatory video type thing that has a lot of learning that's with me otherwise we have a, a a bench of really fabulous facilitators that teach the course to a lot of different clients oh that's lovely. live if you want it live mm -hmm. yeah tell you if someone's listening to this and whether they want to go maybe in your field or totally different business what advice would you give them as far as they're starting this new business any pointers that they need to have or that they should look out for so uh, one thing, if you're going to start a new business, um, make sure that you're starting a business based on value that you want to share to the marketplace, not based on a need to find relief from your life right now. <laughs> Some people, they, they start to want to do a business because they hate their job or they're not happy with their boss. And so they're like, forget about it. I'm just going to start my own thing. Being an entrepreneur is a grind. It can be very challenging. You don't have that steady eddy and it is 100% accountability. So that means in my organization, I have to take 100% responsibility for everything that happens. We don't make money. We do make money. There's something in there around my strategic decisions. When you work for an organization, you get the luxury of blaming other people for all your challenges. Even if you get fired, you can say, well, they didn't do this or the, you know, there were layoffs and it's not your fault, right? So Really take that decision very seriously. Get happy first, get content first, learn how to add value. Look at your client, look at your current job as your client, as your customer. How do you treat that customer? How do you add value? Do you do extra things that aren't a part of your job description or do you phone it in? If you're a phone it in person, if you're a passive aggressive person, um, and you're not adding ultimate value to this organization and you can't handle the feedback, you're not ready for entrepreneurship. <laughs> um, once you're ready and you're out there, um, I would definitely say that, and I talk about this with some of my coaching clients, don't get married. A lot of people start with all the logistics in the weeds. I got to start my LLC. I want to have my office, all of these things. Try to sell something first. Right. When I first started this, I had to actually get on the call and say, I'd like to come and do a training for your organization. This is how much it costs. Make one call or do one thing and see if you can can successfully make the sale. Like that's the end. It's, it's the basketball. I, I use basketball analogies, Odo, but I know nothing about sports, but I'm going to use it right now. Um, when my kids were young on the basketball court, I got so frustrated with the coach because he was he had all these moves with these little kids. And I thought that was great. 
But I got out there one day and I was like, at the end of the day, you have to put that ball in the basket. Yep. Like all of these moves are to the aim of putting it in the basket and the moves, the plays are set up to make, hopefully make it, uh, put you in a successful situation to put in the basket. So businesses are money makers. So the whole goal of any of the stuff that you're doing is that you need to be able to make money. And so don't forget about that. <laughs> I agree. I completely agree. How, how how was it for you getting that first client with whether it was that cold call or warm, warm call, however it was? Well, it's interesting because as I shared with you before, my journey was a little different in that I started, I saw a problem. And I started talking about it, right? Mm -hmm. And then from that, people asked me. So I did. I was focused on mission. I was focused on value. What did start happening with me, though, is I spent the beginning of this journey um, under earning and not asking for money. As a matter of fact, I enjoy doing things for free. And I think the reason I like to do it for free is because I didn't really want to be evaluated. You know, it's like one of those things, if you do something for free, people are just grateful and you don't have to like, you know... <laughs> You're, you're, you don't have to think about whether it was good or not. It's like, yeah, yeah it was free. So yeah, what was it? So I had to have a complete overhaul where number one, I said, if this is a valuable service, I have to be able to ask for money. And so I had one client that offered me a low amount of money for the services. And this was the big breakthrough. Oh, no, this is a huge breakthrough. I said, no this is our price, right? This is a price. And I just hung up the phone. It was very hard for me because at the time, the amount of money they were offering, I kind of really needed it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I said no. And I said, you know, this is a very valuable service. I'm so happy we had this conversation. If something changes in your budget, I would love to stay in touch. And so they called me back three days later and they said we would we would like to move forward. And that was the moment I never went back again. I was like, okay, I'm setting my prices. I'm determining the value and I'm staying the course. And so from there, I continued to say, I'm going to add maximum value, but I'm also going to take really good care of myself saying that people need to invest in that yes. value. So really important. No, it's so true. You know, like you said, if it's free, you don't feel like you're being evaluated or judged because then someone's going to be like, it was the investment worth it? What was the return on my investment for this fee, right? Yeah. And I think they also don't value it. I noticed that like people don't necessarily want discounts or want things for free. Mm -hmm. um, I had a consultant at an organization. I gave her a proposal. And because I liked her so much, I thought that I would give her a good deal. Mm -hmm. And she had an offline conversation with me saying the reason that they didn't cho choose me is because they just felt like it was alarmingly cheap. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. So, you know, I love it. I, I've decided to just have these conversations about the nitty gritty behind the scenes, but um, your value and your worth and setting prices and really asking for, to me, I think that it's a big hurdle that a lot of new entrepreneurs have. Um, and it also, of course, can impact your business long term, for sure. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's your framework, it's your perspective, how you think about things. Yes, yes. absolutely. Now, Talia, from a, I guess from a marketing standpoint, what drives traffic for your business? So uh, this is a, a sticky question for me. I feel like you're asking me all like the great, the great questions. Um, our business has grown to be pretty big 
And I'm very proud to say that it has been primarily um, 80, 90% referral only. Wow. Um, I We just did a marketing review and we have marketing efforts, but these marketing efforts have not necessarily resulted in the same gains as our referrals, like all of our clients. And we have big, huge clients. It's been, I can track that it was multiple referrals. So first step is to do good work. That's the best marketing that you can do. Um, now we are kind of systematizing our marketing a lot more but we're using a lot of data-driven marketing. And I think that's that's a really big thing. And, and we've started doing this a little bit, but my goal for 2024 as a CEO and, and kind of strategic visionary is, is to get more down into the data. It's gonna be another shift for me. I, I'm an artist at heart. I love just the vision and the wonderful things. And so I'm gonna go to stretch myself to be much more data-driven and looking at pivots that we may need to make to make sure that our efforts are um, resulting in in wins and gains. So that's great that the majority is now just referral base. Yeah. Yeah. In your book, Tyler, you go into much deeper details as far as the framework of love, L-O-V-E. If someone's listening to this and, you know, I believe business is all about building relationships and being social. But if someone's listened to this and maybe they're a little bit awkward in certain situations, or maybe they're in a networking event and they don't feel that comfortable. Uh, how can they deal with that using that framework? So the power of conscious connection outlines four habits to transform how we live and lead. And the framework of the habits make up the acronym love, listen, observe, value, and engage. And so these are skills that what I'm proposing in the book that you practice on a regular basis so that you become a master and not only leadership skills, but at in connecting to life. So moving this to something like a networking situation and social uh, issues or social things, the first thing is to be really intentional about why you're there and what you're doing. If you decide that you're going to a networking or a social event and your decision is I'm just going to show up and have a good time, that's fine, let that be your goal. But if your goal is to go there and you want to drum up business, you want to make connections, I try to definitely do a little bit of homework. I mean, I kind of know, I, I do targets. I go to conferences and I have my targets. I know who I'm going up to. I know who by the end of the event I need to talk to. I pretty much don't go into these events, you know, completely without some kind of guidelines as to what I'm trying to accomplish. And if I'm a really tired, I might go in, hit two or three targets and I'm out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just depends on what's, ha what's happening. But if you're an introvert and you have a hard time talking to people, that kind of fear can sometimes be self-centered because when we walk into situations and we're just thinking about how does my hair look? What am I doing? Do I sound, you know, happy? What's going on? You're giving the other person power to evaluate you. And so the way to get rid of awkwardness and, and shyness and anxiety is really invest in your own power. Um, I have value to offer other people. And so when you're going in, you're thinking about it as I don't want to deprive these people I'm talking to of my value. Mm -hmm. I actually have hired people that came up to me at a networking event. And I will tell you, do you know how hard it is to find good people and to hire people? I am so happy that they worked through the crowd, came up to me, shook my hand. They were bold about what they can do. 
super clear saying, hey, could I get in touch with your assistant and, and have a call next Wednesday? I'm like, absolutely. This is how I think I can support your company. I'm looking to make a change. Quick, ready to go. Uh, they closed it. And I was grateful. It wasn't about them feeling, it's, it's so weird feeling anxious or, mm -hmm. or is she going to think I'm weird? No, I, I benefited from that person coming up to me. So um, try not to put people on pedestals. We all need stuff. We need each other. And I would just over and over in your mind, if you're an anxious or kind of feel awkward socially, I'm valuable. I'm worth it. I'm just here in the world, connecting with people, um, trying to do my best to use my talents and that's it, right? That, that's Nothing great. Else. You were able to find team members through networking events. Yeah, well, they, yeah, they found me, right? And then yeah. they cut off weeks and months of work. Speaking about team members, how does your team look like today? So, uh, Chris, I looks very different than it did, of course, years ago. I actually am not involved in operations today. I have a president that runs the operations of the company, and he runs kind of the sales and the marketing strategy. Um, I do a 90-day CEO update where I update them on everything that's going on. Um, the president and I, we had one yesterday. We have, um, starting this year, because of some things we identified in the company, we're going to do these more often, but we have monthly four-hour retreats. So we meet at a place and we have a whiteboard and we strategize what our next things are. And then it's his job to go back and to execute on those things. Um, I gave myself a grade as a CEO this year. I, I'm, I was an academic, so I always like to give grades. And um, I identify how was I with my fiscal and strategic decision-making? How was I in terms of leadership? How was I in terms of... Um, capital raise and bringing funding into the organization. Um, I wasn't happy with the grades that I received this particular year. Part of it's because I've been working on my book, which is which is great. And I, I feel like the book has, has been a, a huge booster for me in life. Um, but I identified some grades. I'm an A student. So I had these and a couple of C's there, which I don't like. Uh, and so now I'm going to tweak that. How can I optimize in 2024? And what are the things that I need to do to really drill down so I can be a competent value contributor uh, to my own company? So I look at Kusai as its own person and I work for Kusai. And so my question is, am I serving you well, Kusai? And so if the answer is sort of, then the next question is, what can I do differently to, to serve you well so that you can grow be healthy financially, and also have a culture that can grow and it can can have great people thrive and grow in. So, yeah. That's amazing. What are some things you look at? You know, obviously, when you're in school, you have history, you have math, science, and so on. So so, so what are your subjects that you grade yourself in Kusai? Yeah. So one subject is just financial decisions. Um, okay. For me, I, my grade gets a little deeper as a therapist and an artist. I get creative. I do an annual review where I look at all the months in the year and I identify the decisions I made that were helpful and decisions that I made that didn't go anywhere. And so my grade on the strategic decisions is based on, did my gut lead me wrong? <laughs> um did I do enough due diligence with these decisions? And so the strategic decision-making is a big bucket. Um, the next one is finances. So every quarter, did I do a really in-depth review? Um, 
did I really think about our spend and whether or not what money we brought in, was that reinvested in growth, right? So th that's another bucket that I definitely look at. And then the last bucket that, that I look at is, of course, current clients and services. Um, we have a thing at Kusai where we want everyone to feel like they have a warm, competent hug, um, not literally, but symbolically. And we want to wow them. So all of our engagement managers, we think about what can we do? Every single client, we have to have a brainstorm about what we could do to wow them. And so how did we do on our wow factors? And that's something where my grade was a little bit lower because I feel like we can kick it up a notch. I have pretty high standards, but we're going to kick that up a notch, access more technology, make sure we have the latest and the greatest content and information. And so we're always thinking about the, the product development and how can we improve that. So we've got finances, strategic decisions, and the quality of the products and value of the services that are being delivered to our clients. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Talia. What are some habits or traits you feel that you have that have helped you in business or, or maybe just on the personal side of things as well? So another book, the, the assignment for the listeners is to get my book. <laughs> of course, that's number one on the list. One. The second one is decisive. The third one is Atomic Habits. And everybody's probably heard of that with, uh, you know, James Cleary. Uh, such a good book. Here's the, the deal. And by the way, my book is about habits as well. We have to have some level of consistency so we can evaluate the results, right? Some of us stop too soon. We haven't had enough consistent efforts in order to see if it worked or not. That's the big deal. For me, I follow the love system pretty religiously. Um, listen, observe, value, engage. I wake up in the morning and I have 30 minutes of meditation and where I listen to my thoughts, I actually am very careful to listen to self-sabotaging thoughts, fear thoughts, all of that stuff. And so I'm just, I just let the thoughts roll. I try to quiet my mind. Um, observation, I turn my phone off and I sometimes will literally just watch the squirrels. I take a walk in nature and I forget about my problems for a while. And I look at the trees and I look for just connections. Like I might say, how would the tree solve this problem? Right. Or if, if we were thinking about nature, what would that look like? Um, systems thinking is the skill with observation. This is how Sherlock Holmes became so brilliant is that he really gets into the details and how it's connected to outcomes. And so that's my observation is I'm like, how is it all connected? To give one example of that, right now I have a very big decision to make, really big decision. And I was talking to my sister who also uses the love system and she gave me some observations. So we have listen, observe, value, and engage. And so we, she took me through the love system, my own book, she took me through it. And in the observation, she said to me, are you sure that this decision isn't being impacted by some of these other things going on in your life? And so she identified that I could have a skewed idea of what I need to do next based on a series of other things that are happening in my life. So it was really big for me because I decided not to make a major decision now. I decided to let it be because of the observation of the connection between other things happening in my life and how that is playing into my decision today. So that's the idea of observation. Uh, and then I went through values, what, what's most important to me. And so what's most important to me is freedom. And so I actually, when I have big decisions, I say, 
how will this decision support bigger things in my life, right? Um, and so the last one will be, I'll have to start engaging, which means I'm going to take some action and communicate. Um, I'm going to improve some of the ways I communicate with my team, with this new decision, and and see how that uh, tweaks the results, right? So um, I get up in the, so I do that. I take through, I have processes and I have systems, the meditation, um, exercising. If I have important decisions, I also don't eat processed food and a lot of carbs. I try to like actually clear my mind. Um, these are been these have been the real game changers in business for me. When you take good care of your mind, the clarity of mind and feeling good about yourself will lead you to better results than any book you could buy, any strategy you can implement. Um, so that that's what I've been committed to. I think it's made all the difference in my life in my world. I love that. And thank you for that example to bringing us through as far as your train of thought there. Speaking about something you're considering right now, as far as a big decision, what would you say, maybe it is this, or maybe it's something else. What would you say is your biggest challenge with your role today in Kusai? So with Kusai, my biggest question is uh, today. Um, so we're, we are focused on growth. And so what I'm toying with is what's the impact of growing too fast or steady growth over time? And then when you are growing, when with that growth, what are the most important resources that you have to put in place to manage that growth? Um, I was really impacted by the series We Crashed. I think it's on Apple TV. Did you watch it? With uh, Yeah, with uh, Adam, with WeWork. Yes, with WeWork. Yes. It was yes. really interesting. I, I was fascinated as a, as a CEO, I was just fascinated by that whole thing. I almost feel like their mission is very similar to Kusai. <laughs> um, but we're not in the commercial real estate. Oh, this is very relevant to you because they're like in commercial real estate, yeah. right? Oh, gosh. it was. But, you know, he had this really, I, I felt like the premise was really great. But there was a level of, you know, the excitement and the growth and not being you know, completely realistic about what the impact of such fast, fast growth would mean. And so um, I'm just thinking about growth and I'm, I can be a little impatient. I sort of like things to be moving and going. And so I'm balancing, my president always says, slow down to speed up, mm -hmm. right? And that's one of his like big things, um, which I sometimes I'm like, no, we can't slow down, right? Um, so anyway, that that's, that's the the thing is how do you manage growth which by the way to those that are just starting their entrepreneurship journey or they're saying i i'm aware that those are really um these are great problems to have oh my gosh we're gonna grow so fast <laughs> so i humbly say i'm grateful that i have the challenge that i have today yeah no no it's very true what do you know now talia that you wish you would have known at the start of your business career I wish that I would have known at the start of my business career more about taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed that, but oh my gosh, that first, when we started making um, a lot of money, I, I, I just, I was one, I, I'm very, I, I don't want to spend a ton of money, right? And sure. so the, our society is set up such that they definitely motivate you to spend money. Mm -hmm. And I see why, because I think a lot of people would just be like, no, I'm not hiring a bunch of new people. I'm not doing this. Like it helps the economy. So there's a reason for it. 
Um, but you kind of sometimes have the option. You're either going to give money to the IRS or you're going to grow your business. So there's like, you know, I feel like there's more decisions, but that's that's the simplistic version of it. So we sort of know more about taxes early on. Um, and I think that I'm balancing now. I made a lot of decisions early in my career that were all very helpful based on my gut. Right. And I made a lot of decisions that I think if I was being advised by someone, they would have said, don't make that decision. I did it, rolled the dice and it was a hit. Now, I think as we grow, I I continue to work on my gut, but I have to try to balance the due diligence with the gut. And so I'm I'm just in that space of just that decision making piece. I wish I would have known a little more about that earlier, early on. But um any mistake that I make, I just consider it to be an MBA program. Like education yeah. is costly, but it's it's so it's so worth it. So that's good. Coming to an end here soon, you know, with many businesses, there's sometimes ups and downs. It, it, it's a journey. It's not always like this, even though all of us wish it was like this all the time. But is there a setback that you can think of or a fail, let's call it? What would you say is your favorite fail? And what did you learn from that? So a part of Kusai, what we do is we're in government contracting. So we're an 8A certified firm or women-owned small business. Game changer because um, as many probably small businesses, particularly in this area, know, um, being able to access government contracts, these, these are these long-term relationships that can really make your business thrive. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, I spent a, an exorbitant amount of resources and funding on going after contracts. And I literally think that we wrote, I don't know, hundreds, it could have even have been, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say maybe it was even thousands, it felt like thousands of responses to proposals. Mm -hmm. But what was cool about it, because we did so many, and because you can do something called a debrief with the, con the choosing people, you get to find out everything that you did wrong, everything you did okay. So we had so many debriefs. By the time that I recovered from that fail, at some point I just was like, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm a failure. This is not working. But what I realized is I have all the knowledge now. So it was like I started to use all of those lessons and then we were just hitting. I mean, everything was a hit because I I figured it, I kind of like figured out the, the hack. I don't know what you want to call it, but um I realized what we had to do and what we had to change in order to be successful. But I don't know if maybe I could have skipped that lesson. There probably were some advisors I could have hired. I don't know. But it it seemed to be something that was very helpful. It was it was an epic fail. Well, you learn <laughs> from it, though. Yeah. Yeah. So much learning. <laughs> there you go. So much learning. What does the future hold? What are you most excited about or the next couple of years look like for you and Kusai? So I'm excited about us um, creating, of course, new products, new learning products. Um, I'm really excited about some partnerships and, you know, what my book might mean for getting our message out. I think um, we are really looking at how to get on the wave of innovation and technology. And so we actually have... Um, we're doing a big capital raise and we have a new product that's that's fantastic that deals with AI and global leadership efforts that that really think about uh, what leadership looks like around the globe and to access some of the top leaders in 
all around the world. And so we have a big play, we call it a big tech play that's coming up that I'm very excited about. I love that. Speaking about the book, I know we've been touching about the book the, the whole throughout the whole episode. How did the idea come about? So this idea, uh, again, love the acronym was not intentional. I actually almost didn't want to use it because I felt like it might be too fluffy, but because it, it was, I was like, let's just do it. So uh, how the book came about really quickly, I know we're ending here. Um, I have read hundreds of leadership books. I've studied psychology, happiness, productivity, and I realized that we need a hack. We need something very simple. And so I said to myself, all of these books that you read, all of this stuff that's going down, what is the bottom line? And so the love system is you can read 10,000 leadership books. You can study Nelson Mandela. You can study Mother Teresa, Gandhi, whoever, whatever leader you pick out of a hat. If you read any of their biographies, anything, you will find that it's going to boil down to the love system. Listen, observe, value, engage. And I have skills attached to each of those four seemingly simple things that have been at the core of people doing small things like getting a promotion to starting a new business all the way up to changing the trajectory of humanity. So at the end of the day, you master what's in that love system and it is your hack for everything. Not for me, but it's my analysis. I did the work for you. I did the reading for you. And this is what it boils down to. Um, I'll just say this last analogy. It kind of boils down to what I thought about with dieting. At the end of the day, it's protein, complex carbs, and veggies. <laughs> you can, you know, I, I know keto gets out the complex carbs, but it's some version of some mix of those things. And no matter how many books we read, it's going to boil down to like you can't eat too much and you've got to eat real food. Like bottom line. <laughs> bottom line, you have to go get the book. Yes, bottom yes. line, you have to get the book. <laughs> So Talia, if people want to learn more about you, go get the book. Where can they go and get more information, please? Yes. Yeah, so if you want to follow me on Instagram at Talia Fox Speaks, I also would love to connect with you. I have a newsletter and lots of things happening on LinkedIn because the majority of our clients are on LinkedIn. Um, so you can look me up Talia Fox LinkedIn. Also Kusai Global, you can go to our website, www.kusaitraining.com. Um, and then the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. We're actually going to be in, in 60 airports across the country. Wow. Congrats. Start, thank you. Starting in January. So I would love if you're from the DC area to, if you see my book in an airport and you're traveling this holiday season, just take a selfie with the book and post it or even just send it to me. I would just be so excited so we can connect and, and join together. I love that. We have to support our own. Yes. <laughs> Talia, <laughs> thank you so much. Teach. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a fantastic time. I did too. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for connecting. And I'm sending you lots of love and light and, and joy for this holiday season. Thank you. Me too. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.